Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. And we'll continue our line-by-line, verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And we're in Philippians chapter 4, and today we'll do verses 8 and 9 there on your handout. And I love this section of Scripture. Last week, of course, we did seven steps to appropriate the peace of God, and, and the text was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says, Do not be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts, your emotions, and your minds in Christ Jesus. So our hearts are guarded, and we talked about that at length last week. But today we're going to transition and really talk about our minds So as you can see in our text today, these are eight things that Paul has given us that we should think about, that we should meditate on. Eight different things that we'll cover this morning that I believe will help us appropriate not only the peace of God in our emotions, but a peace that transcends that into our intellect and our thoughts. Let me ask you a question. How's your thought life? You know, I uh, grew up working in the oil fields every summer, and those guys cuss like sailors. Uh, I never cussed, but my thoughts sometimes when I would hit my thumb, boy, I had a whole string of cuss words just come out. You know, every thought, our thought life that we have really becomes who we are. You know, we know each other by what we dress like by what we do and what we say, but our thoughts, our inner life is who we are, and that's what we're going to focus on today. One of the most quoted people in the world, his name is Anonymous, said this, what consumes your mind controls your life. What you think about most in your heart and in your mind literally is who you are. And that is why Jesus said, you know, it's not what we see on the outside that I will judge on judgment day, but I will judge what? The thoughts and the intentions of man's heart. Folks, today I believe God is calling us all to clean up our thought life to really begin to meditate on these good things. And Paul in our text literally is going to give us eight things that we can meditate on that will actually help. Yeah, thank you, Luke. (laughs) Our live stream always gets cut off, so we have to record it. So we're not live anymore. If you want to change your life, you must first change your mind. You see, I believe we as just People in this life get caught up in ruts. You ever get caught up in a rut in your life? The same thing day in and day out, and you fall for the the same temptation, and every day is the same, and, and it's just a rut, and it's mundane, and you don't have that joy of the Lord or the peace of God in your life. I believe if we can change our mind, we will change our life. 
And God can do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to our text. It's on your handout, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report or repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, meditate on, dwell, think about these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I want to go over each of these things we should think about, uh, just each one, and how to apply that to our thinking that will change our lives. But the theme of Philippians literally is about having the joy of the Lord, rejoicing always. Again, I say rejoice. He repeats that throughout the book. And that joy really is a result of our attitude. So earlier in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Paul wrote, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, that, that same thinking in all the good things that we're going to talk about this morning. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, I believe that circumstances shouldn't control who we are, our attitude, our emotions, but our attitude in the midst of circumstances can really change and affect how we respond to those circumstances. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul said, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. Attitude is important. And we really need to have an attitude of gratitude. I like you guys sang that song today, Luke and Jade, because <laughs> the attitude affects our emotions. If you have a positive attitude, no matter what circumstances you're facing in life, if you're guarding your thought life and your attitude remains good, you will have the peace and joy of the Lord. Chuck Swindoll once said it like this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, more important than failures or successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company or a church or a home. The remarkable thing is we all have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. 
We can't change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that's our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. You ever wake up with a bad attitude? Wrong side of the bed. You know, it's just like your attitude. I'll just say it sucks. You know, I mean, it is just, ugh. I hate when that happens. So what do you do to get in a right attitude? It begins on the meditations of your heart, what you begin to think about and what you change your mind from thinking about that to thinking about this. Today, we're going to cover these eight things that we should think about, and I think it'll help us develop great attitudes regardless of our circumstances. Eight things that will change your attitude and most certainly change your life if you really practice meditating on these good things. Philippians 4, 8 again, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell, meditate on these things. So let's just pick them apart. Whatever is true, the first one. In this age of fake news and conspiracy theories, any of you follow all the conspiracy theories? (laughs) So I get emails literally all day from You know, oh, man, you got to watch this guy. And if I watched all the videos, I I would literally be all day watching conspiracy theories online. You know, I don't worry about all of that. You know, the Bible is a blueprint of what's going to happen in the last days. The Bible foretold, we already know the main signpost of end times, and we know exactly what's going to happen. And by the way, the geopolitical climate around the world is lined up exactly as Bible prophecy predicted. The world is in the same state that the Bible said it would be, and even now we have the technology to buy or sell with an etch or a chip, a mark in our right hand or forehead. But we need to fix our minds on the truth. I'm going to study the Bible and and wait for the news to catch up with it and wait for science to catch up with it. And by the way, it always does. The Bible's never been wrong, not once. And Thayer's Greek lexicon, truth, is uh, defined as this. True, real, conformed to the nature and reality of things. Folks, we need to fix our mind on things that are true, not lies, because I know this, what is true around us is God is in control, and even though we live in enemy territory, we can fight the good fight and have the strength and power and peace of God in our lives, regardless of the circumstances this world is going through. In fact, truth is one of the main reasons Jesus came to the earth in John chapter 18, verse 37. Jesus was standing before Pilate, and he said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world 
to testify of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In Matthew twenty-two fifteen, the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him and what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And the Herodians was a sect of the Sadducees. So Ju- Judaism had four main sects back then. The zealots who were zealot for the things of God. In fact, many of the converts from Judaism to Christianity were zealots. Then there were the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection, who believed that Messiah was going to uh, come on the scene. And the Sadducees were sad you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection. And the Herodians were a sect of Sadducees that had adopted Greek culture and literally supported Rome's rule under Herod, and they became known as the Herodians. So they sent their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are truthful And you teach the way of God in truth, and you defer to no one, and you are not partial to any. I love it that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, even the Herodians recognize that Christ's teaching. Have you ever studied the teachings of Christ and the answers he would give the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Gospels? Amazing. They were always amazed. Finally, they said, hey, we can't question this guy any longer because every time we ask a question, the crowd is so amazed by the answer. It just makes them believe him more and more. But I love that they testify that he's of the truth and he teaches the way of God in truth and he's not partial or defers to anyone. He taught with authority and he taught to testify the truth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, I love this. Remember, Luke was a Gentile, more than likely a physician. And if you want to know the chronology of the Gospels, you know the the Gospels have a lot of things that don't line up. I mean, not significant things like theological truth, but different things. But Luke said this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, probably a Roman senator, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. I love it when preachers and commentators say, well, you know, Matthew doesn't line up with Luke, and maybe there was a, another text cue, and, and John certainly doesn't. It's more theology and, and all of that. Well, Luke said, I wrote it out in consecutive order. That should be the bar. If we ever have a question, go to the Gospel of Luke. And I love that it's a Gentile that wrote it wasn't a group of Jews that conspired together, hey, let's get our story straight. That's why the Gospels don't agree on many things. There's discrepancies in there, so we could say, wow, the Bible is true. So that you can know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And the Holy Spirit leads us to truth. In John 15, 26, it says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of 
truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The word of God is truth, and the word of God and meditating on truth will set you free. Set you free from fear, set you free from addiction, set you free from whatever holds your thoughts captive. And John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, he was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the first thing we need to think about is the word of God. We need to meditate on the word of God and truth and things that we know that are true around us. Truth, meditate on the word of God. I love this. The psalmist in 119 verse 27 said, make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. And I shall lift up my hand, Psalm 119, 48, to your commandments which I love and I will meditate on your statutes. Psalm 119, 78, may the arrogant be ashamed for they subvert me with a lie, but I will meditate on your precepts. Psalm 119, 148, my eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. When's the last time you just got a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, got all by yourself and took the word of God and didn't read to, to read chapters for quantity. You read to just meditate on the beauty of God's word. Oh, that the mighty creator God of the universe had 40 guys write this Bible, his word to us, to just sit in the stillness and meditate through the Psalms. You see, Eastern meditation, you try to reach nirvana. What do they do when they meditate? They try to empty their mind of everything. Christian meditation, true meditation, is filling our mind with good things. It's meditating on the wonders of God, on the word of God, on the precepts of God, on the great things that God has done. Number two, whatever is honorable, dwell on these things. Honorable literally in the Greek is dignified, noble, worthy of honor. Think about those who are living lives in dignity. I love to read stories about the Christian martyrs throughout history. I love to read stories of great men and women of God who had trials after trial after trial, but they did mighty exploits for the kingdom of God. To meditate on those worthy of honor, dignified, noble, things that are noble and worthy of honor. Let's fill our minds with not only the word of God, truth, but things that are honorable, things that would bring honor to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 2, it said, Pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we might leave, live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Honorable or dignified, we need to pray for one another. We need to meditate on things that are honorable to God. Number three, whatever is right. Whatever is right. That word literally in the Greek is innocent, virtuous, upright, or righteous. 
Think about things that are right. A person who works and words are pleasing to the Lord. So we think about what we can do in word and deed that will be pleasing to God. Do you ever meditate on that? Do you ever pray that in the morning? Hey, God, today, guide my steps. And Lord, everything I say and everything I do today, I want it to bring glory to you. Lord, everything I do and everything I say, I want it to be a reflection of your love to a lost and hurting world. Guide my steps. Things that are worthy of honor or virtuous or upright or righteous. And I love this one, innocent. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, you know it. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If we're meditating on the word of God, God will go before us. He will meet those needs that we have. In Psalm 19, 14, I love this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's things that are honorable and good and true. Number four, whatever is pure. I love this because this word means holy. Set apart for exclusive use by or for God. It's ceremonially clean. You know, the minute we repent, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, from all guilt, and we become ceremonially clean, holy before a righteous God. We need to think about things that are pure or clean in the sight of God. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. I love that. You know, it goes back to when Jesus took that little child and said, hey, it, unless you humble yourself and become like this little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. To a little innocent kid who has not experienced the ugliness of this world, everything is pure and good. Wow, look at that sunset. Oh, look at that bug. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything is good. The idea here is, man, we need to just think about the good things. But those that are defiled, everything is defiled. They judge, I, you know, it used to be, Man, you're so fake, Pastor Brett, because you have joy in the midst of this circumstance, and it seems like you love your enemies. And people that have, have talked about you at work, man, you love them, and you don't talk bad about them. Something's not right about you. <laughs> to the defiled, everything's defiled. But to the pure, ah, oh, you look for the good in people. To the pure, we look for the good. We meditate on the good, the right. Verse 16 of Titus chapter 1. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. He's talking about Christians. You ever meet a defiled Christian? Here's some of their characteristics. They love to gossip. They become the biggest gossips in your church. 
By the way, we've had gossips in our church. We warn them exactly as the Bible says three times, and then we boot them out. We've done it. (laughs) You know, they're defiled. They're detestable. Their thoughts are unclean and unpure. Number five, whatever is lovely. I love this. Pleasing, beautiful, or relationally beloved. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. You know, sometimes I look at the sky and I just say, thank you, God for creating clouds of water droplets that when the sun hits it just right, it glows red and orange and all the colors that all of that. Thank you for that science that you established in the sky that we could see this wonderful tapestry that you painted. Whatever is beautiful that grabs your heart, think about the good things, not the bad things. Number six, Whatever is of good repute, and the NASB translate that word repute, King James says report, of good report. So what does the Greek say? Well, the Greek word, it's reputable, and thus of good repute or reputation. Think about things that are reputable, well spoken of. And it also carries the idea of sounding good. You ever read a poem that just grabs your heart? You ever hear a song that just like grabs your heart? That's the idea here of good repute, reputable, well-spoken, sounding good to ease your mind. In the Greek, the word is, I love this, euphamos. <laughs> euphamos. Yeah, that's, that's how you sound it out in the Greek. It's the idea is, man, we exist to make God famous. We exist to declare the wonders of God because this world has no understanding of who God is. There's false religions. They have no understanding. There's cults. They have no understanding. We are here to proclaim what? The excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We exist to show the world who almighty God is. You famous reputable. (laughs) I just love that. It's only used here in the Bible, but there's other words for that. In Romans 16, 19, it says, for the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Note that. That's wise in the good things of God, the truth, the word of God, everything we've been talking about that we should set our minds on, and innocent. That means you don't even have knowledge of what is evil. We don't study the evil, we study the good. It's like counterfeiters, you know, what, uh, the, the guys that can see a counterfeit bill, they study the good, they know the truth, they know the true thing so much that when the falsehood comes, they immediately know it. They don't study the false, they study the good. 
That's what we need to be doing, innocent and what is evil. What did Jesus say? Man, I send you out now uh, uh, as, as uh, sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. We need to think about the good, not the evil. Verse 20 of Romans 16. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, a lot of people say when Jesus died on the cross, he crushed Satan under his feet. Satan's still the ruler of this world. Folks, he hasn't been crushed yet. That's why years later, Paul wrote this to the Romans. Hey, soon God will crush Satan under your feet. When does that happen? At the second coming. When Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit and finally shackled. Until then, we live in enemy territory, and we know the fiery darts of the enemy. That's those weird thoughts. That's that spiritual battle that the battlefield that we fight is not flesh and blood, but it's in our minds, it's in our hearts. Number seven, whatever is excellent. And I love this. The, the idea in the word in the Greek here is morally right, morally good, perfect, goodness of action, moral excellence. It's moral in thought, in feelings, in actions, and words. And Luke 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 45, it says, the good man, man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. But the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth that which is evil. For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. I want you to know that if you're thinking about all these good things, you're constantly filling your mind with good things and not the ugly, weird things of the world. If you're feeling, filling your mind with good things, Oh, it will transform your heart and your attitude will be Christ-like in all your dealings, in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Things that are excellent. And number eight, whatever is worthy of praise. I love this word because it not only means praise, and this is exalted praise. You know, we have worship, and, and the word worship, who knows what it means? means to prostrate yourself, forehead to the ground. That, that's worship. Praise is that exuberant, that, that jumping up and down, that hand-clapping praise to God. Hey, whatever is worthy of praise, think about those things. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice. Oh, that's kind of praising. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible, full of glory. That's the idea on this last one. Think about the good things that bring joy to your heart, that are pleasing to God. Meditate on the good, the pure, 
and the praiseworthy things of God, and your attitude will change. You will find that you will have a peace that transcends understanding like we talked about last week. You will find rather than having wicked and evil thoughts consistently, oh, you're going to be filled with good thoughts. And it'll be rare that you have a wicked or evil thought or a hateful thought or an arrogant thought. This week, we need to realize the battleground that we fight in is all here and here, mental and emotional. That is where our spiritual battle takes place. That is why we have to put on the armor of God. In Ephesians 6.15, it says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you uh, will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, those weird, wicked thoughts. And take the helmet of salvation which guards our thoughts. I know I'm a child of God through my faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And though I consistently fail him, I know I am forgiven, I'm loved, and I'm a child of the King. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Those are those things that come between you and God in your mind or your emotions. Those blocks that what you think about blocks you from having intimate fellowship with the Lord. And so Christ is at the door of your heart knocking, saying, man, if you would just let me in, I'd come in and have sweet fellowship with you. And you with me. If you would just let me in. Man, God is concerned about our thoughts. He's going to judge every thought and the intentions, motives of people's hearts. Thank God that as believers, Christ paid for all of ours and it's gone. It's cleansed and it's forgiven. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 10, for we are destroying speculations. That's the weird thoughts. It's not truth, it's just a speculation. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If we are thinking and meditating on the good things of the Lord, filling our minds with good things, not the wicked, evil things of the world, we will see the fruit of the Spirit birthed in our lives. It will transform our hearts, change our attitudes, and we will have the peace of God. And that brings us to verse 9. Philippians 4.9, The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Continually work on doing these things. Think about the things that are pleasing to God and practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Folks, every day in our faith journey, we experience battle. We know the enemy is trying to rob us of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we know if we fill our minds with the good things of the Lord, Man, good things will come out of our heart. 
our, our emotions won't be as much of a roller coaster as they sometimes can be. Worship team, come on up. So this week, let's clean up our thought life. Let's think about these eight things and take each one and meditate on them. And during the day, fill our minds with good things. Hey, put on worship CDs or worship music or good Bible teaching as you drive your car. Proverbs 15, 28, it says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. May we think about the good things of the Lord this week. May we guard our thoughts and guard our hearts and experience God's transformation and that renewing in our mind. As it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? Think about these eight things. Meditate on the good things. It'll renew your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. I pray that you have a great week in the Lord. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.